Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Matthew Wright Show on Crucible of Broadcast Excellence. Talk Radio. Put it on and keep it on. Too busy to catch us on the afternoons on talk radio? Too many children to care for? Too many jobs to manage? Well, never fear. Help is here in the shape of the Matthew Wright podcast, where we cut down three hours of entertainment and enlightenment every afternoon into tiny, bite-sized morsels just for you, you busy so-and-so. So sit back and enjoy the best of the Matthew Wright Show here on talk radio coronavirus and uh, I was going to start by just saying as Italy goes under lockdown but I'm, I'm, I'm reading around I mean it's more and more concern around the world Israel's just announced a, a self-quarantine for everyone arriving in the country for 14 days. Uh, Italy though uh, has gone under complete lockdown the entire country uh, uh, has been uh, ordered to stay at home and can't help but wonder if that may happen here. I mean imagine the whole country the whole of the United Kingdom being told to stay indoors on pain of arrest, police and soldiers on every street corner how would we survive no work no money no money to pay for bills no money to pay for food that is if there is any food in the supermarkets that's not already been grabbed be by hoarders <laughs> <laughs> it can indeed, Kevin. Uh, if we were to follow Italy, though, could we hope our government might step in and pay our rent and mortgages for us? That's what's happening in Italy. Uh, Deputy Economy Minister Laura Castelli from the Five Star Movement, she hasn't explained how Italy is going to pay the mortgages and rent of its population, but that's what she said they're planning to do, um, the idea to help the country survive the virus. Italy has, I think, already uh, uh, invested in like €10 billion Euros to help its economy and healthcare through the crisis. And as I said earlier, Boris Johnson's main advice here in the UK seems to be, at the moment, just wash your hands. Um, what would happen if we were ordered into ordered to self-isolate across the country? Grace Blakely, economist and author, joins us on the line now. Good afternoon, Grace. Hi, how are you? I'm, oh, that's a good, good question to ask. <laughs> I, 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 I'm in rude health, I think, at the moment. Yourself? That's good to know. Yes, it is indeed. Um in terms of, I mean, we've got Rishi Sunak due to deliver his first budget tomorrow. And I said to Kevin at the top of the show, I imagine everything he's been thinking about delivering, whether it's good news or bad news uh, for taxpayers, he must be thinking whether or not it's even worth announcing because coronavirus is going to supersede all of that, is it not? Yeah, well, we didn't really have too much information about what Rishi Sunak was planning to deliver for this budget because obviously he was put in post relatively recently yes. after Sajid Javid resigned um so this was going to be a bit of a big test for sunak yes really just like you know deciding whether or not he was on the more kind of traditional osborne slash um uh cameron end of of the conservative party with a commitment to kind of fiscal discipline and and maintaining those uh those fiscal rules that the tories have had in place for quite a while or whether he was going to actually say and kind of try and live up to, to Johnson's promises to those voters who he said had lent him their votes by spending more in uh, in the north and the Midlands, spending more on infrastructure, investing in the economy, and trying to trying to boost yeah. wages. Um, at this point, you're, you're quite right. It does look as though that um, 
that point is going to be overshadowed basically by what the government has agreed it's going to do in response to this uh, this um, kind of uh, downturn that is likely to result from um, the coronavirus. At the moment, we are we are seeing a kind of coordinated collapse in in stock prices. Uh, yeah around the world, in stock markets around can, the world. Could, could we have a little, uh, a few thoughts on, on what that might mean? I mean, when, when I've ever seen, whenever we've seen collapses before, there are um, economic reasons uh, that are driving the situation, austerity, banks overextending themselves, etc. Coronavirus is a very different situation, isn't it? Yeah, well, this is a, a pretty complicated scenario when you're looking at stock markets. When you're looking at the kind of basic economic fundamentals, then there are some pretty clear reasons why this might lead to a downturn. First, yeah. you're going to get people staying home from work, which yeah. output is going is to fall. You're going to have the impact on, on health services, on the public sector of, uh, of you know, providing much higher levels of, of care for people. You're going to have actually the obvious impact of people potentially dying and getting very severely ill, which is obviously going to impact uh, the workforce um, and therefore the kind of economy's capacity to produce things. Um, but when it comes to the stock market, the, the question is a little bit more complicated because it obviously relates to all of those factors. Um, I mean, you, what you're basically looking at is um, investors' bets on the likely future profitability of lots of different firms. But it's complicated by the fact that there's been, particularly in, in America, what's been called the longest bull run in history. Yeah. Basically, for the last 10 years, stocks have been going up and up and up and up and up, seemingly without end. Investors betting basically the good times are going to carry on forever, even though the, the, uh, the economic fundamentals, the basic profitability of, of some businesses, productivity, etc., aren't that strong. And a big reason for that has been the government's quantitative easing program, or the, the Federal Reserves and the Bank of England and the BOJ's quantitative easing programs, which have basically pumped huge amounts of money into the financial system and have pushed up the price of lots of different assets, including stocks and shares. Would, would, so, but what will it mean here in the UK domestically? Because, you know, if, if we were talking about this 15 years ago, I would imagine it was a hugely good news story, but I, I'm guessing with hardly anybody or with restrictions on plane travel uh, and, and, and a real shift on the economy away from fossil fuels is not going to bring the benefits that we might have once expected. Yeah, well, of course, the other reason for this collapse is the demand side, which right. is that, you know, in the wake of the coronavirus, it's likely that people will be using less, fewer fossil fuels because production will be lower, people will be using their public transport, etc. You saw in China when um, the, the, at the peak of the quarantine, pollution went down, you know, just dramatically. Um, and that was obviously because people were, were, were not basically going out and doing anything in the economy. Um, and you'd expect a similar sort of thing to happen in, uh, in economies that are really deeply yeah. affected by this. Over the long term, I mean, low oil prices probably aren't that good uh, in terms of weaning economies off. No. Uh, <laughs> no. Yeah, that's a real problem, yeah. So what about the, the crunch question, in, in my mind at least, Grace? Yeah. If, if, and lots of people are speculating in two weeks, we could find ourselves in a similar situation to the one that Italy is in today, the entire country in lockdown. If that was to happen, could, would our government be able to afford to pay our mortgages, pay the interest on our mortgages or cover our rent. Um, all the people in the gig economy who won't be able to work, you know, working from day to day. Is it possible? Is there enough money rattling around in the UK system to actually see us through two weeks or maybe longer of lockdown? There is absolutely enough money. And this yes! Is oh, thank gonna... you, Grace. Thank you. 
The Matthew Wright Show on Talk Radio. At least two police forces have referred serving officers to the government's de-radicalisation programme, Prevent, uh, amid fears that coppers are joining far-right terror groups. The revelation comes after a 21-year-old frontline London Met constable was arrested on suspicion of belonging to a banned neo-Nazi extremist organisation. And it also follows a report by Her Majesty's Inspectorate of Constabulary warning that most forces overlook the threats posed by staff vulnerable to radicalisation. Meanwhile, the Prison Officers Association has called for a, and I quote, fundamental review of Britain's de-radicalisation programmes, which critics say allow jailed terrorists to just go through the motions to make the authorities believe they have rehabilitated when in fact they have done no such thing. Of course, before killing those two victims on London Bridge, the attacker Usman Khan had participated in uh, no fewer than two de-radicalisation schemes. Uh, Joining us now is a counter-terrorism expert at the Royal United Services Institute, Raffaello Pantucci. Is it the case that uh, our police forces are being remiss when it comes to uh, the required vigilance of coppers becoming uh, members of far-right terror groups? I mean, I think this is something that has been of concern uh, for some time, a potential concern for some time. Um, if we think to our sort of security forces writ large, uh, there have been sort of concerns about uh, extreme right radicalization amongst the police and armed forces in particular for some time. Um, I think what we're seeing is that it turns out now that some police forces were a bit more attentive to these issues than others. Um, but I think, you know, for any uh, organization like this, uh, you know, their expectation is not to have to look within their own ranks uh, for problems. There is an expectation that people who join these services are joining it and are sort of fighting for the same reason that everyone else is. So, you know, when these individuals do occur, I think they are aberrations rather than the norm. At least the police are subject to the PREVENT scheme. Uh, What do you say to the fact that Ministry of Defence Police, whose particular remit covers terrorism or anti-terrorism measures, aren't even subject to those duties uh, forcing the top brass to flag up staffers who might benefit from PREVENT? They're not even involved in the scheme. That's got to be wrong, hasn't it? Well, I think it's because the armed forces have always had a sort of sense of being an independent force. And, you know, if you're going to get people, you know, recruit people to join your army and basically be prepared to make the ultimate sacrifice for their country, you know, there's a sense that you're going to put these people to a slightly different standards to the rest of us. So I think that's the reason for it. But I think it's also something that I think the police have been aware of as a problem for some time. I mean, the same group that um, I think this this, uh, police officer who was uh, uh, caught this past week uh, was involved in is a group which previously we'd seen a soldier uh, be involved in and it caused some concern when we see members of the armed forces involved in this group so you know this is something that the army is very aware of and they've been aware of for a very long time but i think the problem they have is their concern is to put sort of additional pressures on them forces uh, when they're already in a very sort of high pressure environment. If we think back to the past few years where, you know, we've been deploying soldiers to a number of different battlefields around the world, you know, these people are already under a lot of strain. Do you really want to be putting this extra sort of pressure upon them? Uh, Yeah, that's uh, kind of an interesting point, but one would have thought that they ought to be subjected to the same standards as other serving officers. What do the police need to do to up their game when it comes to this uh, increasing problem? 
I think attention needs to be paid to, you know, people wandering in this direction. I think the complexity, you know, there have been problems around Islamist radicalization within the police in the past as well, though it's been much sort of milder by than what we've seen in this particular case. I think in, in the distant past, we saw individual police officers who appeared to be, you know, flirting on the fringes of some of the sort of more extreme uh, Islamist organizations. But I think here what we're seeing is an individual officer actually being a member of an organization, and I think that's a much greater concern. But I think the problem is that when we think about uh, the extreme right and we think about the ideologies that underpin it, um, some of those narratives are much closer to the kind of political mainstream that we have at the moment, which yeah. makes it much harder to detect them in a way. And I think that is in some ways why it's possible for something like this to happen, um, which, you know, and, and the difficulty is from the police perspective is they have to be very attuned and very careful to sort of tread that line and make sure that officers are, you know, not, uh, you know, are staying within the sort of correct political bounds and not going too far. But it does become very difficult when you move to the extreme right to actually map where that is these days. Um, moving on to the uh, prison officers now, they, they, I mean, we're talking about coppers should be subjected so, so, so to the prevent... If I may, just for uh, the, on the prison yeah. officers, uh, Raphael... Uh, on, on the notion mm. of sort of institutional racism, which goes back to the McPherson report in 1997, the murder of Stephen Lawrence 1993. Now, some observers mm. will be saying, you know, despite having had more than 20 years to address this issue, this is specifically within the Met Police, that you, you come mm. away from reading this story today about, you know, officers needing de-radicalisation. I can't help but wonder, I mean, these are you know, way, way beyond the notion of institutionally racist. These are ext presumed extremists, but it, it gives the impression mm. that, that that notion of institutional racism within the police has still not yet been addressed. I mean, I think that's, you know, a much bigger discussion in some ways than this very specific case. But I think um, I think some of the problems that we've seen with the police and with the problems around institutional racism are things that I think the Met and other places and other forces have struggled with for some time. And clearly. it is a sort of persistent uh, question. And I think clearly, in a way, you're, you're entirely correct. We're seeing an articulation of it in some ways here. But I think there is a um, there is a slight distinction, I think, to be made yes. uh, between that. Because I think the issue there is that, you know, when we think about sort of issues around race and we think how society as a whole has moved in general, in a way, the police have sort of followed that, haven't they? Well, you know, I, I, we've I was, seen I, as the sort of society's norm has shifted. You know, I think their norms have shifted as well. The I, difficulty is here is that we're seeing what we consider the kind of extreme right has become much closer in some ways to the mainstream. The Matthew Wright Show on Talk Radio. Paul Whitehouse is here. That's what we need in Granddad, these troubled, troubled yes. times, isn't it? Laughter. A bit of only fools. Yes, yes. Yeah. And, um, 
Well, it's actually on the same day that I, I, th I believe the far shows. Uh, you're coming back for a one-off uh, with, with Charlie Hexton. I saw in the Guardian. Yeah, as well, yeah, we so. are. We are actually. That's uh, assuming <coughs> that it doesn't get you the virus. Then that's nothing's going to touch no. me, mate. Yeah. I'm, I'm only in two high-risk categories. <laughs> <laughs> Can you do some more district nurse? Uh, no, it's the, well, one oh, we'd have liked to. I love well, that. Well, not least because of Esther Coles, who is brilliant. She is brilliant. And She's got her own series now, hasn't she? Mm -hmm. On well, the radio for. I hope so. Yeah, she has. But I love that. I loved it on the telly and on the radio. Oh, thank it you very most, much. No, we, uh, I loved doing that, and it was a sort of it was a labour of love, you know. Yeah, it really felt was, it. Yeah. it was you've great. been um, you've been knocking out the part at Only Fools and Horses, then the musical. Your granddad and back. I think. Yeah, you been, your how many times you've been now, Matthew? Three times. <laughs> Got him there, <laughs> got him there. New baby, new baby, vicious wife, yeah, yeah, yeah. the fishing, virus, fishing, the fishing. Yeah. I love to go fishing. The chance would be a fine thing. The chance would be a fine thing. Yeah, but I never get to go anymore because I'm too busy. I never get to go proper fishing. I have to go with Bob now all the time. <laughs> I have a rod from the back, and I, quite literally I, I, a rod I, I, from my back. And I, I know what it's like to have your fishing experience ruined oh. by a by a, by a Neanderthal. What, by a, yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. It's, it's no fun. It's no fun. So tell us, um, how much more Only Fools and Horses and musicals are there going to be then? Well, we just released uh, 50,000 new tickets and um, uh, we hope it's going to go on beyond that as well because there's no sign of it drying up and, you know, I don't want to sound smug, just happy and pleased because, uh, you know, we have a little look up every night, you know, see what the audience like and it's always... 400,000 or something, I think I bought tickets yeah. now, 400,000, yeah. half a million people. And then word of mouth is doing it because... You know, it's, it's a celebration of Only Fools. It's not Trigger's, you know, gender journey or anything like that. Do you know what I mean? It's, we keep it as a... It, it does what it says on the tin, you know what I mean? It's so that... that it, it is just everything that you know and love about Only Fools, as much as we can cram in, that's what it is, you know? And your Del Boy... I'm not Del no, Boy. No, no, oh, your Del Boy is... Too, <laughs> your Del Boy is... Tom Bennett. Bennett. Yes. Ryan Hutton Rodney. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, and do you have, do you have, are there any of the other TV characters there as well? Um, do you mean, have, have any of the cast come in to well, see Well, it, no, are, are you bringing, uh, is it all the, uh, the oh, same yeah, characters? You know, Trigger, Boise, yeah, Marlene, there. yeah, they're all there, yeah, Granddad, I play. And, and uh, even Uncle Albert S might make an appearance. Uh, from Beyond the Grave. <laughs> you. Me. You. <laughs> Me. Granddad and Uncle Albert. Yeah. All in one, yeah. double bubble. Yeah, yeah? absolutely. Did you pay for that? Nah. No. No. Um, <laughs> we, we actually we didn't talk about this with Matt Hemley from the stage when he was in, but we can't ignore the virus, the coronavirus. In all seriousness, you're in a big theatre. Um, you concerned about it? Is it going to impact? <clears throat> well, I think um, it seems to be impacting upon everyone. But uh, my personal feeling is uh, just remain as healthy as you can, and I think most people will fight it off. That's my feeling. But, of course, I am a world-leading expert <laughs> on the virus. So that's why, why are you asking me? That's why you got you in. <laughs> you, are, you, are, you are a medical... Do you remember, though? I, I, was I am a, a type of doctor. Well, Bob and I are both... You kind of are, because you remember I was at a Mika concert... Yes. And I fainted after the Mika concert, and you were the person who helped me onto the banquette. Oh, is, this true? is this yeah, true? Yeah, I came round. It was my daughter, it wasn't <laughs> me. It was my daughter, Ashley. And we were at the Apollo. I came yeah. round, and there you were, and I didn't know you. Yeah, that's I, right, yeah. I could say was, oh, oh I'm, I'm a big fan of yours, and I think I went again. But but it was really odd. It was really odd. Yeah. I don't know what Well, I, I mean, yeah, but I, I don't think that makes me a... Uh, leading authority yeah, on uh, infectious diseases. Everybody's Medical chipping manner. in. Oh, Everyone's no, chipping, chipping in, in, so I'll chip out. 
I, I, I get so confused because the doctors, and we're going to be joined by Ellie Cannon uh, in just a little while. She she's saying she's there. There you go, waving from behind. She sort of she's saying the same thing that Christian Jessen was saying earlier, which is you know, it's what about flu and nobody's talking about that. Nobody exactly exactly that. That said, I, I would think twice before going to a crowded theatre and, and, and sitting next to diseased people, even to watch a brilliant show like yours. Well, I, I would, wouldn't. I'm, I'm not going to go along get, with that, am I'm I? I'm getting I'd nervous. Say, I'm getting nervous about public oh, transport. Well, I've just seen you. I looked said, through the window oh, there no. watching you, touching your nose, touching your mouth, touching your so eyes. So you think Paul's coming to warn people <laughs> against going to see only horse and horses? <laughs> no, I know, exactly. I should have warned about coming in here with Matthew Wright, <laughs> touching his face the whole time. I can only apologise. <laughs> I can only apologise. Um, so you're in it till how 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 long? Well, I'm in it for another couple of months, and then I'm doing uh, pick up filming with Bob, and then I'll go Series back. Series three in of Gone Fishing, yeah, yeah, and then I'll go back in later in the year if we're still running, which uh, it looks like we well we hope to be. Uh, I because I, I love doing it; it's a joy, and it really I, I swear to you, it's a privilege, you know, to go on and do those characters every night because you know John Sullivan, you know, busted his gut to produce all these. Brilliant plots and characters, and it is it genuinely is a privilege to go and do. We, we were talking earlier about uh, before we came on air about the, the risks attached to musicals, and yeah. and and I, I, I sort of you were a bit blasé. Well, it's a little bit blasé. You said as a banker, but you don't you don't think like that when you're putting it together because because it's so highly thought of and so well regarded and loved that you know I I still today I've met a couple of people going well I was a bit reluctant you know I thought. Uh, you know, don't muck about with only fools, but you know, that's, they've that's been to the see it and they've come round, you know, because they know that all we're doing, and it was John Sullivan's idea to do the music, because he said, right, that's my mantra, really, is that you can criticise it if you like, but you're criticising the guy who wrote and created all those characters that you love. With music by Chaz and Dave. With music by Chaz and Dave. Can't yeah. go wrong with and that. And I, uh, I wrote a couple of the songs with Chaz Hodges before poor old Chaz, you know, departed, so... I got on very well with Chess because, again, he, we grew up in the same area and we used to go at the same, you know, shops and uh, we used to go fishing in the same places. So uh, it was a lovely friendship to have with him and both Spurs fans. Oh, God. So oh, it was very... I was, was really enjoying that really, conversation. Yeah. I was really oh. enjoying